Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did You Read with Tim Montgomery. Welcome to Did You Read, the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week I'm joined by three of our regular columnists, David Aronovich, Anne Treneman, and Rachel Sylvester. The age of uncertainty. Not only do we not know the likely result of the next election, but it would be a fool who even attempted a prediction. In May, we could see everyone losing, and by June, all three major party leaders could be standing down. Eek! George Osborne is on a one-man mission to revitalise the North, although the phrase, quote, northern powerhouse, unquote, may be the most patronising thing a politician has come up with for some time. But will London or Westminster ever allow such a thing really, in a nation that cannot even find one person to head an inquiry who isn't a member of the great and the good, is the very idea of the dispersal of power simply an anathema? Are the lessons of Scotland totally lost? The internet is about to transform the way we deal with the state. The geeks in hoodies at the government digital service have devised a way of verifying your identity securely that will open up the number of transactions available online. It would be incredibly convenient and the potential savings are huge, but is it an ID card by the back door? Well, those are our three topics for uh, this week. And uh, David, we're going to start with your topic. And um, yesterday in a tweet, (laughs) I wrote that David Cameron will probably now stay PM. I said, I'm not very confident in that prediction, but I feel it's the first time I'm able to make it. And in your menu, you say anyone making a prediction about the next election would be a fool. So I don't know I quite qualify as that, probably do. But where I completely agree with your assessment is it is because of the uh, the meltdown of uh, Labour potentially in Scotland now and yet another factor of uncertainty an already uncertain election. Yeah, I, And I note that when you quoted your tweet, you said he probably will stay prime minister and i have no confidence in my own prediction now uh, a pedant might point out that these two things are possibly contradictory um he either probably will or he probably won't um and the answer is of course that what you're really saying is you don't know most elections not all you have a reasonable chance at uh, making a prediction about who's going to win or the range of possible results. What we now have in consistent polling is the two major parties polling more or less level in the low 30s, not in the high 30s, in the low 30s. A UKIP 
polling third at around about 16%, which is enough to affect lots of results, but not enough for them to get because they're dispersed very many seats at all, despite the fact that some of their crazies have started predicting 100 possible seats for UKIP. Well, one, one opinion poll predicted that, yeah. but I agree it was a crazy prediction. And it's very, very hard to believe that the Lib Dems will hang on to more than half their seats, which even that would be a performance well over their current polling results. Now, what that means is that specifically local results affected by the way the votes split could determine the difference in seats between Labour and Tory, which is the question which then gives you the answer as to who is most likely to be able to try and form a coalition. And then the question is with whom? Now, you pointed to the fact that in Scotland, the uh, level of support for the SNP within a first-past-the-post system, ironically, and I say ironically because I found myself debating in favour of the alternative vote against Labour MPs who were opposed to it, might, because of its gearing, give the SNP a disproportionate number of seats at the expense of Labour, thus offsetting the advantage Labour has over the Tories in terms of, uh, in terms of the boundaries and the number of votes it takes to get a seat. Now, as I say, this could actually mean that we go come out of the next election with no party in a position to say it's won, all parties cross, and a set of... A, a, I mean, you could quite easily see a situation in which actually not just the three main party leaders go, but actually four party leaders go after the next election because they've all failed. And I cannot think of anything, even going back to the February and October 1974 elections, and here my voice begins to crumble... Um, uh, where it was so volatile. Mm. It is perfectly possible, isn't it, Rachel Sylvester, you could get a situation where the Conservatives would need more than the Liberal Democrats to have a majority. Labour would need more than the Liberal Democrats. You could actually have a three-party sort of coalition, coalition yeah. necessary. Well, I find German it, style. <laughs> I find it fascinating talking to senior Labour and senior Conservative strategists. Both of them are convinced that the other side are going to win. So if you talk to Labour people, they think David Cameron privately will be yes. Prime Minister. Talk to Tories, they're convinced Ed Miliband will be Prime Minister. And the bookies um, still, I think the, the, the odds have narrowed, but the bookies still do have Ed Miliband as likeliest to be Prime Minister. Yeah, I think it's just, as David says, incredibly uncertain. And I think that reflects a wider sort of disenchantment with the mainstream political parties. And in a way, I think the next election is going to be a clash of two or actually possibly three terrible brands, the Conservatives who are still seen as the party of the rich, Labour who are still seen as lacking economic competence, the Lib Dems thrown into the mix as now sort of another party of government who are not trusted because of tuition fees. And so these the sort of rogue elements of UKIP and the Greens, the protest vote becomes a determining uh, factor. Um, And I think it's a rejection of of mainstream politics, which is quite deliberate. I think the the voters sort of get what they want, actually, generally with elections, and they are kind of rejecting the mainstream parties. Anne Treneman, do you buy the basic thesis that this is an incredibly unpredictable election? Oh, completely, and I think it's absolutely great. I mean, (laughs) I do. I mean, I think... You know, the, the sort of comfy blanket about either David Cameron or it's Ed Miliband, and then they, everything they want they get, and then they rip up the NHS again, or they rip up uh, whatever again. You know, it's, I think that that is old fashioned. And I think Scotland taught us that. And it's the politics of identity now, it's people saying we want a voice, not only locally, but nationally, and we don't actually want someone to have power not the kind of power that they've had in the past. And I, you know, 
I mean, I must admit the idea of Alex Salmon as Deputy Prime Minister is slightly daunting, but <laughs> I'm sure Deputy we can Deputy Prime all... Minister of the uh, United Kingdom, he wanted to leave a few months precisely, ago. Precisely, yeah. precisely. And, you know, it's going to be a ride, that's for sure. What I think is fascinating as well is that the parties, the main parties, seem to be doing everything they can to make their situation worse. Mm. So you've got <laughs> David Cameron kind of making completely implausible, undeliverable policies on immigration. Yes. Mm. That he, he must, if he's got any sense, realise he's not, he's going to have to break that promise and mm. let the voters down. You know, and meanwhile, Theresa May setting up one inquiry chief after another and with this huge inquiry that can never fulfil the public's expectations. Yeah. And right. I think there's a sort of sense of actually just get on with stuff and deliver what you're meant to be doing and then maybe people might start trusting you again stop having sort of these grandiose pledges that you I, I, completely, I completely agree with you all the parties into competing to shoot themselves in the foot most mm. spectacularly do you remember that game we used to play as kids go for broke the person that won <laughs> lost, a million, <laughs> lost a million pounds most quickly the sort of political parties would almost be playing I, like that we, we, we've said in the Times though recently the, the leader that I think was in Monday's paper that the 35% strategy that Ed Miliband pursued might just get him over the top. But now if Scotland collapses, he's not just potentially heading for defeat, but for disaster. I don't And that, that scenario, we are looking at such a range of scenarios in this Yeah, election, but, you know, we? why is Scotland falling apart for Labour? Because they took it for granted for decades. Yeah. That's why it's falling apart. Not because the voters of Scotland don't like Labour policies. It's because they're sick and tired of being treated like some sort of, you know, serf who just always has to vote the same way. And all of the party leaders, I mean, the Lib Dems, God knows what's going to happen with them because they've alienated almost everyone. But, um, you know, all the party leaders are going to have to deal with this. Suddenly they've got to pay attention to the voters. Um, (laughs) and, and, And Rachel Sylvester in Scotland, is Jim Murphy the answer to Labour's problems up there? Or could he be, be the ideal candidate for the SNP? Someone who's come back from London who's a Blairite pro-war or do the SNP secretly fear? Him? I think he'd be great. He's bright, he's organised, he knows how to talk to people. He was great out on the stump during the referendum campaign. I think it's a big test as well, though, for the Labour Party because the unions will not want Jim Murphy up there. And if they've managed to swing it... Uh, against him, that would be incredibly embarrassing and damaging for Ed Miliband. Mm. Well, I, think, I, I think that's practically the end of the Labour Party in Scotland if they don't go for Jim Murphy and they mm. go for some union place person. And what's really remarkable about it is the recrudescence of the really old politics. There you get union bosses saying, this is the candidate we support without a single moment's consultation with their own membership <laughs> about what they think. Yeah. Not one. They don't even bother with it. They simply say, here's our guy and this is not our guy because we've decided it in some committee or we've decided by some process of comradely osmosis so uh, but I'm pretty sure that the Labour members in Scotland saw who did what during the referendum campaign and they were actually out there doing the work and so on Mm. Uh, and also you've got to remember that quite a lot of the left wing of the party actually left Labour during the referendum campaign Mm. and have already switched over to the SNP you can't get I get quite a lot of insults on Twitter from people like that 
But the unions, I think it's the, this election is the last one that will probably take place under the older Labour electoral college where the unions still have uh, to a To be sizable. honest, Tim, I've lost track of the electoral systems within side parties and <laughs> so on. I mean, only when I absolutely need to do I get the book down and actually discover where they've got to <laughs> I can't last. understand you sometimes, David. <laughs> um, and of course, we are meeting in the morning after the earthquake of Norman Baker's resignation. We cannot let this The tremors are yeah. still <laughs> carrying on. We cannot let I this I was worried about coming pass. out of building so high this morning just in case things <laughs> fell apart um, d- um does it matter uh, does no. It, no well of course not i mean <laughs> uh, um i mean i've had great fun during since norman baker's resignation because he wrote that book about the, david kelly claiming that he was murdered mm. by secret services or with tony blair's collusion asking whether actually this resignation is real and actually whether it's the real norman <laughs> baker who's done it and, uh, and that's been good fun but Norman Baker was uh, he was a st- he's a strange combination of characteristics uh, actually and it was slightly odd that he got into government in the first place slightly peculiar that he managed to stay so long I always thought he'd only be there for a year or so and entirely expected that he should leave he wasn't a bad transport minister it was just odd to send him to the home office I think that was never probably yeah, going to work the only thing that I think does matter is it it matters whether or not parties know how to work in coalition so his criticism that Theresa May kind of treated the Home Office as a little fiefdom of the Mm. Conservative Party that is significant because in this new era of uncertainty as David says the party is just going to have to be more grown up and they're going to have to make more compromises and realise that they've got to work together and actually if you didn't win an outright majority then you've got to have Lib Dems in your Home Office and that means making compromises although I think that might be more Theresa May than the Conservative Party I think think you talked to Tory minister that I don't think they think they get she much gets, uh, <laughs> power shared with her I think it them. might be Norman Baker mm. <laughs> I mean frankly I mean you know Norman Baker on, is you know has really very distinct views on things like drugs policy but I think the idea that you're just going to get your way is never going to work and particularly not in the home office he sent out a consultation which somebody <laughs> sent around which was essentially saying here's a series of things uh, I think about drugs policy do you agree with me there's only one box mark yes <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of survey. But it could I, be a spoof. Sort of survey I like. Well, we must move on to our second topic, which is the topic you suggested for us, Anne. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday, and on yesterday, uh, George Osborne announced his big plan to have a mayor, directly elected mayor, with sweeping new powers for Greater Manchester. I think this is a his latest a, new plan. His latest new plan. Does I think he ever leave the north? I'm feeling sorry for the north. I just feel you know they're under attack from George Osborne. <laughs> he does. He and does he's represent. He does represent in his high vis jacket. He has literally visited every manufacturing. <laughs> Even if people are making three things, George has appeared on their doorstep and said hello. In his high, in his high visibility vest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's got the high vis tour down. Um, he never leaves the north except very occasionally to come down here. And um, I, I mean, I do. I think, think he'd love this idea that he's always out there. As far as I'm concerned, he's always in number eleven, Hiding. half running the government. From, um, no, no, no. He is. That is his whole plan. Apparently, yeah. is to be always up north, shown to be with the, the makers and you've fallen of the for country. It. Well, mainly because it it does seem to be. He is the northern powerhouse. I mean. Am I right? Is this? I know I've, I've been. I'm saying patronizing. I am American, so I'm allowed to mispronounce things. <laughs> um, I mean, is this the most patronizing thing that anyone has ever said? I, 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 I wonder. Right, before before Rachel comes in, I mean, 
the problem is that there are certain sorts of truths which even a politician for whom they are inconvenient has to recognise. The distribution of wealth is a clear problem. Ed Miliband identified it, but everybody else can see it. And lots of Tories can see it too. Tim's written about it. So you look at things like the living wage and how we can try and get a situation whereby simply the wealthiest very small proportion aren't the only people who benefit. Well, there is a similar problem with the distribution of the economy inside this country. It's not so much... Now, since you don't actually want to be diminishing the success, which is London, you therefore need to try and build up other parts of the country so that they can replicate what happens in London. And I think an enlightened conservative can see that as much as anybody. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Else can see that. It might not be, and, and whether or not it's in their long-term, short-term political interest, it's also in their long-term political interest because the imbalance for Tories between South and North, mirroring the one between for, that has existed for Labour, is not actually in their interests either. But do you think they really want that? Do you think they really want decisions being made uh, that, that they can't control? Uh, no, well, no politician particularly wants uh, wants that, or rather, they're aware. But actually, it's a constant theme of what they say. If it works, actually, yes. You know, if you can actually have successful uh, rebalancing, then if you're if you're a conservative, you might very well believe that that would unleash forces that would actually empower local conservatives. Well, after all, why should it be I, I think the conservative only way back in somewhere like Manchester. They're not going to do it through electing lots of individual councillors, but Mm. potentially a charismatic business person could actually be elected to this post. I think it's on less than 50% chance. It's much much more likely than 60 councillors are elected. My Um, problem with this is, I I don't have a problem with the policy, and obviously Dave is right that we need to rebalance the country, etc., etc. But it just seems very kind of tactical for the Conservatives. And I think... George Osborne is looking at where the Tories need to win votes, which is basically where they 
kind of nowheres in the northern cities. It's a mirror image of Labour in the south. Labour's southern discomfort, mm. Tories have a sort of northern discomfort. And he's kind of rather kind of tactically and cynically trying to work out policies to suck up. Oh, to come those on. Voters. Right, come on, right. One of the biggest public policy problems in the UK at the moment is the dominance of London. Any politician that doesn't tackle that, doesn't tackle the fact that the north is falling away behind the south. Why the northern should, cities, though? Why not the sort of Cornwall, Devon, southern regions because it's a, it's a, it's Cornwall a certainly is poorer decision. but the north is where an awful lot of people live where there's a concentration of unemployment a, uh, any but, politician responsible but, politician would tackle this I was as talking well. to someone at the Treasury the other day saying oh jolly good the autumn statement's coming up lots of opportunities for high-vis jacket visits to marginal <laughs> constituencies they're literally yeah. trying to work out where they need the votes and they're going to be you know chucking some money I tell you one I, person I, you can't be cynical about though and um, <laughs> although me maybe you will try is Greg Clark and Michael Hazeltine it's probably the most unsung partnership behind uh, this government we know about the coalition between the Liberals and the Conservatives of Westminster but there is this other coalition between Greg Clark the city's <coughs> minister Lord Hazeltine <coughs> his advisor and all these northern Labour leaders and the northern mm. Labour leaders will say they've had more devolution from the part, coalition yeah. in four years than they had from Labour under 13 something substantial is happening maybe George Osborne is riding the politics of this now but I actually think this is one of the unseen achievements unsung achievements of the coalition this these city deals and this devolution well i'll be fascinated i mean i think there's a difference between as Brett just said we must rebalance well the country will rebalance i mean what will happen is something like scotland will happen i mean manchester will suddenly become more successful than maybe people in london thought would happen mm. and manchester's with, already pretty with money well manchester is i be. mean when yeah. it is but you know what i mean what i'm saying it's is got lots of, of problems london. on the um fringes yeah so I just think that the law of unintended consequences is, is, is very much the law of the moment, I think, in politics. And I'm sort of fascinated. You know, Westminster cannot bear the idea of power leaving Parliament. You mm. know, they can't cope with that, the concept of decisions being made about taxation, you know, virtual federalism, that kind of system. They can't cope with it. Just Anne, the answer to the English question. Is that well, better than having an English parliament? Is lots of devolution to yes. cities of this kind the... It could be. Mm. I don't know. I mean, and I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, obviously in America, cities have, have the power to tax. You can have sales tax. You can yeah. kind of do all sorts of stuff. I mean, that would not work, in my opinion, here. But who knows what's coming? Why not? Well, because I just think it's just such a smaller population. Mm -hmm. I think, um, although I'd be fascinated, you know, if London suddenly came up with the it. The Greater Manchester area has the population of a small American state. <laughs> no, you know, no. And, and, and frankly, if Vermont can run itself, then Greater Manchester. <laughs> I'm not saying that Greater Manchester can't run itself. I'm saying within the Bloody parliamentary American system, how does here. it work? <laughs> you know, no, I'm literally saying it's Tell an us experiment. We're incompetent and not able and to I do. am not convinced that the likes of Theresa May, <laughs> David Cameron, jobs. <laughs> whoever, are really willing to give up real power. No, but uh, look, the, 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 there are tensions here. There, obviously, th there is always a tension about giving up power. But on the other hand, 
we can also see that there has been a significant change in people's thinking about whether it might be necessary to give up some of it yeah. and the circumstances. I mean, better to relinquish it in an organised way than to have it relinquished for you. As um, almost happened in Scotland. In, as, as, very nearly happened in, as very nearly happened in Scotland. And actually, they, they, what they decided was that keeping the United Kingdom together was more important than keeping so much power in Westminster. That was that, that, that virtue. Immediately, that was the challenge. They understood what it was that they had to do. There are some similar things. This, the, the, the powers pulling us apart are very, very strong at the moment, politically and uh, and otherwise, and so on. And an enlightened politician, and we do have a few, I think, who think about it, thinks about ways in which <laughs> you, you can try Norman and avoid Baker this. <laughs> I was thinking principally of Norman Baker. <laughs> well, let's move on to our um, our third topic because time is a little bit uh, against us and um, Rachel Sylvester it's uh, your topic and it provided the splash in Tuesday's newspaper and I talked about uh, the coalition between Northern Labour leaders and Greg Clark as one of the unsung achievements of the government and you're suggesting perhaps the digital revolution that's been emulated by countries as different as America and New Zealand is also one of the government's unsung achievements. Yeah, I think uh, uh, what's fascinating and, you know, it follows on from our previous discussion, actually. They have um, the motto of the government digital service, which is this kind of gang of geeks in hoodies in <laughs> Hoban. Do they like being called They geek, love it. They love being hoodies. called that. But they're halfway between um, Silicon Roundabout in Old Street and Whitehall, deliberately positioned. And their motto is strategy is delivery. So basically, they're just getting on with stuff, making it easier to access government services. While all the politicians are faffing around about you know making these grand promises on immigration, they're actually just doing something that's mm. going to potentially make a huge difference to how you deal with the government, making it much quicker to get your new passport or whatever it is. But this, the next stage they're going to now is they've become the first, we've become the first country in the world to work out a sort of secure way of people identifying themselves online to the state. And there are huge implications. It means you can go much further with all the sort of digital delivery of services. They're already estimating it's £1.7 billion of savings a year over the next parliament. So this is sort of potentially a huge kind of contribution to the deficit. So the, 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 the disruption, it, the disruptive impact of new technologies on the newspaper, we, are begin, we will begin to see that roll out yeah. over the next few years in how you interact with government, yeah. you think? And it's very interesting. You say they've worked <clears> out how to verify our identity in a secure way online and you almost sort of rushed past it a lot of people <laughs> well, listening quite, might think I, I can really? run through it in great depth really? if you like but there's a you have four or five a bit like when you sign on to your bank account mm. to you know pay money in or whatever it is there's four or five sort of ways in which you have to identify yourself you have to have your you have to have a passport or driving license a bank account yeah. number a, an address it's the initials of the somebody else living at your address mm. and then they send a code number to your mobile phone so that if somebody found your password and your um, and, and crucially identity the, name, they wouldn't be able to steal it. And so crucially, you, the state isn't holding this information. You, exactly. You, in your article, you say there's five so trusted there so private organisations you can choose to go through. You choose so which one. There's not one central massive exactly. database. Where and each one is. of those, you know, they're sort of credit reference agencies. The post office is one. The banks are interested in doing it, apparently. Each of those has their own sort of verification procedure that they go through. And then they hold the database. There's no centralised government database. Mm. Um, so although, you know, there were some, some sort of concerns that there could be a sort of civil liberties or privacy issue, actually, I think on balance, 
balance the kind of convenience of the thing and the potential savings balance? Do we, do we know, that, David Aronovich, what Norman Baker thinks of this? <laughs> well, I can tell you, I, 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 I suppose the model for this really is the Oyster card uh, in London, in a sense. I mean, I was kind of grumpily against it when Ken Livingstone made us carry them all. It's unusual for you to and be yet, grumpily against anything. It was <laughs> astoni- astonishing, and people were amazed that my family said, this is so unlike you. Um, but the utility of the Oyster card is absolutely enormous. Now imagine that you have an Oyster card for that does most of these things for you. It's the same card. However, that is pretty close to being an identity card. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is because you could actually demand or ask or request that people show it on entry into the country and departure from the country, on any in-flight or out-flight and so on. Uh, You could even be the same thing for past cross-train tickets and so on. And that would mean, as with the Oyster card, that you somewhere would exist a record of exactly where you've moved and where you've gone and so on, which would be useful for you and also conceivable would be useful for somebody else and you can absolutely see that the same people who have gone completely bonkers about privacy for sometimes for good reasons sometimes for not such good reasons in the past are going to go pretty apeshit over this one too Uh, the name professor ross anderson of cambridge university will soon be heard relating to this (laughs) debate and he won't be liking it because the, the geeks in hoodies, um, Rachel, insist that this is not an ID card, don't they, to you? Well, there's no card and there's no national database. So it, it, it isn't an ID card. It's a kind of access gateway, if you like, or mm. sort of digital thing. So I, I think that so long you, as there isn't the any single term, database, I don't see how it isn't really an ID card. Although I, obviously people are, will be concerned about it. Yeah, they will. Anne Trenman, are you worried? Am I worried? Um, I find it worrying, yeah. I mean, just on a personal level, it is worrying. The um, whole di- idea that, uh, you know, like some, on some sites, you know, just in general, when you go on and they know that you sometimes do fly to Inverness and then they refuse to give you the cheap price, supposedly, uh, so I'm told in the conspiracy theory, because they know that you have to make that flight. So why would they try and entice you? So you kind of think that, you know, this is actually what does happen. I mean, it's just called capitalism, marketing, whatever. And it's only possible because of the, the internet. I think like most people, I, why, why should I trust government? Why should we? Um, you know, I mean, I would. You know, I'm not, kind of amazed you? that this is possible. I mean, first of all, the government gateway. When I try and get on, they just absolutely refuses to to let me type the letter N. So I can, you know, it's the second, the third what, time what, I what tried government, to. What government gateway are you trying? You know, to the go government to? gateway. You know, the number. I'm sure all of you have your government gateway number where you access your records. Well, I do. And anyway, and right. it, it's like refuses <laughs> to let me work it because I, it won't acknowledge the end. And I, have, I don't know how to tell you. <laughs> no, 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 it's true. Only you. No, 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 it's <laughs> true. No, no, no. Tons and tons of people have their government gateway the number. Government believe me. Gateway. Yes, I can't believe you guys don't do that. Um, no. Okay. What do you get on the government well, gateway? Well, things like your pension part and things like that and and, you know like I now got my tax the other day uh, my car tax just online and everything and I kind of think it's the way of the future but I'm sort of fascinated on one hand we have these geeks doing these sort of you know basically kind of almost at Google levels and then we have the universal credit program which is being paid to precisely sort of seven people in Hammersmith (laughs) and you know it's supposed to have rolled out across the nation by now and it really is just barely limping along and (laughs) tiny and I just think why can't they just do the universal credit 
<laughs> Something we could actually Ra- all use. Rachel Sylvester. The they did her. try. They got sent in to try and sort it out. <laughs> but by then, the, the problem was the universal credit had been set up as this huge sort of database complex system. And the way in which the geeks in hoodies work is they start very small and they build things up. Well, so it's pretty a small big now. Clash of cultures. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. But that is exactly what so is happening. So they should have started there from the beginning. And then yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But people around the world, uh, you mentioned in your article, uh, Rachel, are looking at this and Britain is a world well, leader. Well, apparently the, um, is, is the Obama administration has completely modelled its new US digital service on the government digital service. Uh, so services. there, Anne Trenum. Yeah. Yes. So well, they there. even have the sort of little keep calm and carry on style posters, the sort of those British wartime propaganda. Everything is totally modelled. They use in all these other countries are using the same software code and etc. So it's actually even more it's frightening. Even more frightening. We may be making enemies all over Europe and America in other ways, but at least the geeks, uh, love, the us. geeks love us. And, 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 and perfectly expresses, incidentally, the, di- the dichotomous thing thinking on this subject, which is firstly to believe that government is totally incompetent and secondly to believe that government is totally omnicompetent <laughs> and no. therefore can t- 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 take you over. And I'm afraid, true at the same time. No you, no, you really have to choose. No, that is so not true. It is true. It is absolutely the truth. The truth. Well, I'm going <laughs> to end really with the uh, patriotic notes of Rachel ringing in our ears that we are good at, as a nation at digital services. I'm not going to let you contradict that. Uh, (laughs) Happy thought Anne Treneman. Anne, Rachel David, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you to Dave Maguire, producer. If you are a Times subscriber please go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central where you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and also I'll put up a range of links to uh, Rachel's article for example on uh, digital government and also the unfolding drama of the Norman Baker (laughs) Resignation. Um, But thank you all for listening. Until next week, goodbye.